Welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about Spike Lee's Black Klansman, and I'm excited to be joined by my friend Daniel Lima. Daniel, thanks for joining me. Thank you. So uh, Black Klansman is uh, Spike Lee's first movie since 2015 when he uh, put out Chirac. And it's a, it's a, this one, though, is based on a true story about uh, Ron Stallworth, who in the early 70s was the first black police officer in the Colorado Springs, Springs Police Department. And he decided to take it upon himself to infiltrate the local chapter of the Ku Klux Klan. He does it in a, initially by literally looking in the newspaper and seeing an ad for the KKK and calls him up but makes the mistake of using his real name. So even if he hadn't done that, that, it complicates things in the movie, but even if he hadn't done that, there's still the problem that he's black and can only do so much to infiltrate the KKK. So they end up enlisting the help of another police officer by the name of Flip Zimmerman, played by Adam Driver. And I should say the Ron Stallworth played by John David Washington, son of frequent Spike Lee collaborator uh, Denzel Washington. But Adam Driver plays Flip Zimmerman, who has to be the face uh, of the Ron Stallworth who is infiltrating the KKK. John David Washington is the voice. Uh, There's obviously a lot to unpack with this movie. So, Daniel, the first thing I guess I'll start with is based on – I know both you and I went on a little bit of a Spike Lee binge in the last few weeks. So uh, Mm -hmm. just based on your uh, relationship with Spike Lee up until seeing this movie, uh, how excited were you? What were you expecting? And did it meet your expectations? Well, I did my best to make sure I went into this with – no knowledge of what was exactly going to happen. I hadn't seen the trailer for the movie. Anytime the trailer came on, when I was seeing a movie, I would just walk out the movie theater. That's a total. That's a total. Jo- that's a total Josh move. I respect it. Uh, mm. so, so you basically knew the premise, and that was it. Just black guy infiltrating the KKK. Just the premise. I remember when it was announced for a second. I was like, "Wait, is this a remake of the 1966 Ted Mickles film?" It was not. <laughs> that movie is actually more okay than you would think, but. Uh, I went into this kind of – I was pretty excited. I was pretty excited. I didn't know what I was walking into. I didn't know what it looked like or anything. But I'm a big fan of Spike Lee. Uh, he's a guy who's delivered, from what I've seen, more hits than misses. And even the misses are pretty interesting unless you're talking about old boy. <laughs> uh, I love – you know, Malcolm X is one of my like top eight movies. I love Bamboozled. Which you know didn't get a lot of attention when it came out. Yeah, but I'm I, actually really upset. I, I read. I don't know if you saw. Spike was on the cover of Time magazine, uh, and a writer I really like, Rembert Brown, wrote the story. And Rembert wrote in the article how like bamboozled, like changed his whole entire worldview when he watched it as a freshman in high school. Like he was going, like he's a, the writer's a black guy, and his mom. But he'd been going to like a pretty white school, and his mom was like worried that he was going to be losing his blackness. And I guess he mm-hmm. said she made him watch Bamboozled, and it changed his whole outlook on the world. And you had told me to try and watch it when I asked you if there was a Spike movie I should watch, and I couldn't find it anywhere. So I'm very upset. But I'm curious. It's, it's curious to hear you talk about it. And it's interesting to hear you talk about it in the context of his other films. Oh yeah, no, it's the one that I think is the, I guess, closest companion piece to this. I might say. Less because of the craft, how it's crafted, but more because of the attitude. That is, I would say, his angriest movie that he's made. It is him just swinging in the dark at everything that annoys him. He's mocking black culture at that point, you know, mainstream black culture, which at the time was like, you know, bling era, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was swinging at, um, you know, white people who, like, consume black media and – mock it while they're doing so he's railing against the black creators of that art he's railing against black creators who think they're better than that art he's just going at to town on everybody uh and you know he's hitting you know he's winging but he's hitting every single target here it's a lot more focused a lot more polished it's him operating in the most like commercial mode that i've seen him in since like inside man 2005 yeah I believe so like it this movie is far more polished far more focused and uh just as effective okay so yeah and and I really thought it it worked a lot too and it it was and I kind of I was kind of the same as you I guess I don't I might have watched the full trailer once and I think one of the things that I think made it like an even more enriching or fulfilling or 
uh, just interesting experience for me was that I watched so little of the trailer that I didn't realize Driver's character was supposed to be Jewish. And uh, I'm a Jewish person, and I actually read a couple interesting articles about how this movie was pretty essential for the Jewish people. So I, I thoroughly enjoyed just him telling the story of just uh, Star Wars' approach to everything. And he's obviously drawing a lot of parallels to uh, a lot of things we're going through today, which I want to talk about because I've read a lot of different things about what people think about the how subtle or not so subtle Spike was trying to be. But it was actually just like it gave me everything I wanted to from the Star Wars. The, I keep saying Star Wars because I, I, th- I got to be more specific because, like, in theory, like, Star Wars is Adam Driver for a lot of this movie. But uh, I'll, so I'll just say, I'll just say uh, Washington's character. It gave me everything I was expecting out of that. And it just had this whole other really interesting journey that it took Driver on. And I thought it, I thought it really did do a pretty good job of balancing it. And it's, it's unfortunate that the movie's called Black Klansman and maybe it ends up almost being more the white character's story uh, in some respects. But, like, I thought it was, uh, I thought it was handled really well, and it, it it really caused me to do a lot of deep thinking about just the fact that uh, like or one of those articles I was reading was about man it, it can kind of put Jews through that thought experiment of like what you would do if the Holocaust happened here, or or if like mm-hmm. or if if you, you were living if or if it just happened now, and because just the fact that like you get to go on that journey with Flip and how he is able to really forget about the fact he's jewish basically like he's yeah. it's almost like he had forgot i don't understand why he's wearing a star of david if he had forgotten but like at the same time he's wearing a star of david but he like basically has forgotten he's jewish he's like i never had a i never did anything growing up i wasn't raised jewish or anything like that i'm just i'm just jewish and it's like you could hide it pretty well and he's like really forced to confront that so i was like really impressed that spike was able to go there and because it seemed like somewhat foreign territory for him uh yeah i believe that this is honestly what was in the screenplay before he was brought on as director. Uh, One of the co-writers of the movie was a Jewish man, I believe, or him and his writing partner. And uh, I believe this was something done because the, in real life, the officer was white, Uh, not Jewish. I mean to say he was not Jewish. Ah. Uh, So it's something that I believe that those uh, screenwriters put in because it allowed for a deeper, understanding of that character than if he was just a white guy you know it it adds an element of danger and it adds an element of you know a man another man reconciling with you know his identity um in a you know racist world Mm -hmm. uh it's i was glad to see how it was handled in the movie though because spike lee has gotten flack for his portrayal of you know jewish people in his movies in the past especially with mo better blues so i did watch that uh when you recommended me to and i guess the idea is those to the the Totoro character and I think the other guy might be played by his brother in Mo Better Boys, if I remember correctly. They're not supposed to be Jewish, but a lot of people just still criticize Spike anyway for making them Jewish caricatures, regardless. And to the point where he had to like actually make a statement and say, I'm not an anti-Semite. Uh, so I guess he'd taken some black for that. And that would make sense that that was done, that that part of the script was put together before he got his pass at it here. But like, I still thought it was all like handled really well for regardless. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's good, although... I do somewhat feel like Adam Driver didn't get enough to do. There's there's that palpable sense of danger uh, throughout the movie as, you know, he's the one infiltrating this, uh, you know, sect of the Ku Klux Klan. So he's the one, you know, most in danger of bodily harm. But, like, after a conversation halfway through where, like, he's uh, talking to... Um, you know, Ron Stallworth, uh, John David, and he, you know, thinks that he's contending, he's wrestling with like his identity in that conversation, talking about how he never had to think of himself as a Jewish man before now. Yeah. Um, Being around a bunch of clan members that, will change that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But like after that conversation, it's kind of dropped into the background and he mostly is there to, you know, go through the motions of this uh, procedural, which I like that procedural element to this movie. It's still great, but it kind of leaves, it kind of left me a little unfulfilled. I wish that it had actually gone more into um, that character's inner turmoil. I, I agree, but like it was already like a two hour and 15 minute movie. So I understand it's that like, it's like you got, you got to, you got to draw the line somewhere. Cause I, at the same time, I think you could have even gone deeper on Solworth because I'd say the, the, the most interesting thing about like, well, yeah, it is really funny and 
it's it's nice that the movie can strike this balance and you have him uh just talking circles around Topher Grace slash David Duke and that's mm. all fun and good and that might be the part that might be the most memorable for some people and it is going to elicit a lot of laughs where he's in there just saying I, I hate n-words like right there in front of all the police force and everyone's turning and that kind of thing and then just saying oh so you could you could tell what a you could tell what a black person sounds like right and David Duke's so confident that he can like all that stuff like I I enjoyed I, I laughed like anyone else but mm-hmm. then I, I, I actually probably more enjoyed his, his the journey he's going on outside of that when he's uh, first has to go undercover at the at the meeting with uh, Kwame Ture and then he's meeting with the Patrice the head of the Black Student Union he's having this back and forth with her a lot and I enjoyed thinking about all that stuff too and I almost think you could have like had even more scenes where he's getting challenged on that and having to reconcile the fact that like, yeah, you're going to make a difference and you might be going undercover with the clan, but at the same time you're working with an institution that uh, it might be a fool's errand to think that you're going to be able to reform it from the inside. And I thought the movie does a pretty good job of addressing that stuff. Yeah. I Spike Lee has not always been the most, um, he's not been the most nuanced guy in his movies. I can't lie. Uh, here he does lend credence to, uh, you know, the Ron Stallworth character's quest to, you know, be the reformer from within a racist institution, that being the police department. Uh, I appreciated that stab at nuance, although um, I feel like the open-ended nature of that duality between you know, Ron Stallworth's character and the character of Cl- Clarice, that was her name? Patrice. Patrice. I, I appreciated that dichotomy, although, A, I wish that Patrice was a little more – she had more to do than just spout her you know, political opinions. And, B, uh, I think that that open-ended nature kind of almost you know, fizzles out toward the – like it just it, – it's not as compelling as if he provided like a strong answer. But yeah, but, that's what I'm, yeah, I was saying they could have just like gone deeper in there. But – um, I mean that first scene, but you brought it up the the the, the speech with uh, I honestly didn't know that Stokely Comerkle ever changed his name, so that was news to me. I can't lie. Um, but yeah, that first scene where he's like, you know, infiltrating the Black Student Union, and they're hearing a speech by what what was it? What is it that he changed his name Qua- to? Kwame Ture. Kwame Ture, and this it's one of the it's one of those things that makes me love Spike Lee. So you're getting this full-on uh, Kwame Ture, like, black nationalist speech, and it goes on for, like, five minutes. It's visually dynamic. You have, uh, you know, you have you the shots of Ture on the podium, you know, giving his fiery incendiary speech, but then you also cut to the reactions of the audience, you know, black faces over a black background, and it's hypnotizing and poetic, uh, the, you, and uh, he, I just love that he made mainstream audiences sit through a black nationalist speech for five minutes. It's the kind of, you know, nobody's going to ever accuse Spike Lee of being a new, uh, a subtle filmmaker. Is this no one's the, ever going to. Well, yeah, I, and I definitely want to talk about that because there's a lot of different things dropped throughout that I, people that aren't familiar with Spike Lee, I think we're pretty uh, caught off guard by just like how unsubtle it was at parts but uh, you you mentioned to me before we uh, started recording that uh you had an interesting experience because you were seeing this with a lot of white people or was that was that part of the memorable experience seeing anyone's reactions to that or were you getting at something else um so i saw it in the first showing at my local movie theater i went with three other white three white people i went okay. with three white people it was a pretty sparsely populated theater i might have been the only black person there i'm not sure I do know that I was loving it the entire way through, but I could feel the people I was with weren't quite as into it as I was. Um, I remember after the movie, one of them was complaining. One of my friends was complaining about how preachy the movie got. And this is one of those times where, like, I look at this person and i wonder how much of this complaining is about the craft and how much of it is about the message spike lee makes message movies that can't be denied and while i fault other filmmakers including black filmmakers for making these you know uh polemic films that offer nothing but the message that 
you know, seek to only be effective because of what they're trying to say. Yeah. I look to those filmmakers and I, you know, I don't really appreciate that at all. I hate it. But Spike Lee is a man who knows how to deliver a message. He is a guy. It's like. Did you like Selma? Oh, yeah, I really did. Okay, so I like Selma. I think that it's good. But it is uninspired. It's a, you know, more or less a straight biopic of Martin Luther I King. I think it's the very best very best version of a straight retelling of something that you can probably do. It's just like you said it is pretty straightforward. Yes, it is a straight But I, but I, I prefer those kind of biopics though where it's like a very small slice of life than cradle to the grave. Yeah, no, I understand that. But, you know, it it's competently shot, competently performed. But it doesn't really it doesn't really utilize the medium in the same way that Spike Lee will in order to get his message across. This is a man who plays with, you know, aspect ratio. He's doing stuff that, you know, that is visually dynamic. Uh, he's playing around with editing. He's, you know, he he's a man who, even as he's shouting into your face what he's trying to tell you with this movie, it's the difference between getting a message delivered by a high school history teacher and being having a message delivered by Malcolm X. It is dynamic in a way that makes you uh, sit up and pay attention. Right. I think – and I, I saw it with a friend who I don't think it's – I think he said he had not seen a Spike Lee movie before. So he was whispering to me throughout the movie, hey – that's this is kind of unsubtle. This is kind of unsubtle, and I, I honestly don't think he had a problem with the message at all. He was just like, I, I think it's this: if you're not familiar with Spike Lee and you think you're, you're just not, and then someone is hitting you over in the head in the way he does, then you're like, what is this? But if you kind of know what you're getting with Spike, then I think you're going to be, uh, you're, you're going to be along for the ride a, a little bit more. And I would say for the most part, like I agree. Like in some movies, I do feel in general are just like about as subtle as a ton of bricks hitting you in the head. And I'm like, oh, gosh, I, I, I don't need this. But even if maybe at times Spike touches on that, I, he does it with so much style that I don't really care. You know, I'm still in, as long as I'm entertained, I'm I, as entertained as his movies make me, I'm not going to really be that upset about it. Exactly. There's a, another sequence toward the end of the movie where you're seeing, and I'm trying not to, you know, reveal any spoilers or anything like that, but there is um, a clan ritual going on. And it is being intercut with a cameo, a great cameo by Harry Belafonte. Uh, and he plays a black man, an older black man, talking to the Black Student Union about um, a real life uh, lynching that occurred in the South, I believe. Mm -hmm. And you're getting the words of Harry Belafonte detailing the horrible things done to this, you know, child. Or man, I, I honestly can't remember the specific details. But you're getting Harry Belafonte talking about this horrible crime, and you're getting that cut with images of these, you know, clansmen having their hoods removed as they, you know, partake in this ritual. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's not subtle. It's telling you that it, it's A, trying to, you know, get to the audience to realize the difference between black power and white power, white power being this, you know, uh, uh, ritualization and uh, worship of power that is that white people grab for themselves by subjugating other peoples and black power being this reclamatory. Uh, hmm, how do I how do I put this? Black power being this. I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to be the one to tell you what black power means. You got to figure that out first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the white. I'm, I'm the white guy in this conversation. <laughs> yes, I and I'm glad. And I appreciate that. But yeah, no, black power. It's an idea that was formed in response to oppression. Right. There is a distinct and clear difference between the two. Equating black power with white power is. Not something that you can do, despite the fact that I have many conversations with white people who try. Uh, beyond that, it's also trying to get home to you the idea that, you know, 
as horrible and cartoonishly evil as these racist men that you see are. They are, in the end, just people. They are people who you go to school with, who you work with, who live next to you. You know, they're your neighbors. It's not just some distant alien force. Yeah, I think that's a really uh, good you point. Contact with. Because I think it does that, um, it gets at that too a little bit when they're, uh, they have the scenes inside of, I guess, is it Walter's house or Felix's house? And then you have... Uh, Lee Felix, yeah. Yeah, his wife ends up playing a relatively important role. But even before then, I mean, she's putting on just about the friendliest face you can. And, mm-hmm. uh, but at the same time, is being very, very racist. And, yes. Uh, and that, that, that did strike me a little bit. And I'm not going to say that I grew up with people that are that level of racist by any means, but I am from the deep South. I'm from the, or from the panhandle of Florida and I'm from, basically I'm from the heart of MAGA country for, uh, and I want to say there's lack of a better term, but that's, that would be an accurate term to describe it. And that, but like the fact is like people might have some people who might have some really problematic views that, uh, you, you couldn't really like argue with someone if someone made a pretty good argument for them being something approaching white supremacy, they're going to be really, really friendly to you anyway. You know, um, if, if you're white like me, uh, yeah, there was a great shot, um, during this, like, you know, during one of these scenes where the Felix, one of the clan members is in bed with his wife and it's shot so lovingly. It's shot with them both in bed. It's tight on them. That's so sweet. (laughs) They are the only ones existing in this world. It's so comforting. But they're talking about how much they want to kill black people. It is hilarious in the, you know, in a sense that is horrific. Um, It's horrifically hilarious. And it's the kind of touch that I see. And I'm like, no, this is what a Spike Lee joint is. Yeah. He's getting across the idea of how comforting this evil racism is to these people. And he's doing it entirely visually. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like it's something that... And obviously, a, a lot of his movies uh, deal with race, uh, some more directly than others. But I almost think that, and like I said, I haven't seen Bamboozled, and there's a few others that I haven't seen. But I, I, out of the ones I've seen, I don't know if he exactly does that in any other movie. I mean, it, it's 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 cool that he is uh, in his early 60s now, and I feel like he's putting different spins on stuff, which is uh, pretty cool. Because like, in I, like I said, I can't speak to the level of anger in Bamboozled, and this is obviously pretty angry. But like, I. Th- I like in something like in something like do the right thing. I think that's obviously it's about a bunch of uh, racial tensions bubbling up, and there's even the part at which you have, I guess, I, th- I think it's the John Turturro character in that one too, is like put on the spot about how like he he, he he's going to treat the black people like his favorite baseball player being Doc Gooden or his favorite actor being Eddie Murphy or anything like that. Like he's like, oh yeah, there's something different about those people, but you're not really necessarily like seeing like seeing them interact with each other that much like the white characters in that and or seeing them just interact with anyone outside of like what's going on inside that pizza joint and malcolm x has its own really um uh prescient moments i think but like there's not a lot of white people in that one either so i think it's really interesting that he spike still found ways to kind of uh, hit some different notes and what you just described, like a scene like that one in the bedroom among them is really, like you said, it's, it's horrific, but it's also like super unique to what you really have. What, what, what have, what have you seen a, a scene like that in any film in recent years, you know? Mm. Yeah. And like what I appreciate about black Klansman is that, you know, it's a movie about, you know, race and it's angry and confrontational, but it's also like I said, the most polished mainstream movie that he's made in years. There is Spike Lee carries with him in every single movie a sort of rawness going back to like she's got to have it. Every movie that I've seen by him with the you know possible exceptions of like, you know, uh, Inside Man, maybe 25th Hour uh, has carried with it. Oh, and Malcolm X has carried with it this really rough, some really rough edges. Uh, Crooklyn is, you know, very unbalanced. Uh, he's going and experimenting with the form in ways that don't always work, even if you appreciate it. Bamboozled is a movie that was shot on video in the year 2000. <laughs> so it looks awful. It looks so bad. It took me a while to even get through the first minute because of how bad it looked. Um, 
Here, though, he's, you know, he looks really good. There's like I remember like that first like that shot of uh, John David walking in trying to walk into the club where he's going to hear the speech by um, Tere. And it's this flowing uh, crane shot that follows him along. And it's just it's a gorgeous movie to look at. I'm glad that he managed to like, you know, he chose to make this his um, (laughs) most commercial movie in a while because he wanted to make sure that this message was able to be consumed by as many people as possible. It's interesting. Okay, so they that you made the point about it being beautiful because that's one of my things about Spike is that I've I just really enjoy looking at a lot of the movies. Like we talked a little bit the other day about Red Hook Summer, which is just a a movie for me. But it's like he shoots New York better than just about like any director that I could that I could think of, and Mm -hmm. I. I, I'm, a, I'm a little mixed on Chirac. I still haven't even like written my letterbox review on it, but I, 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 don't, I don't know. I think maybe some of the issues I have with it might have been with him maybe not totally having a grasp on Chicago. Like, but he's of course he's not going to have as, as good of a grasp on anywhere as he does in New York. But I thought it was interesting right. that it's a second straight movie in which he in in setting left New York. They filmed in Ossinig, which is just like a it's a rich New York suburb, uh, basically. But like it, it, it still looked like it was. I it, it he was able to make a pass for Colorado Springs, but I was just like, man, like even like the, the I guess before Chirac, the most recent movie of his that I, I had seen was Red Hook Summer, and I was like, didn't really love that movie, but it, it looked great. And mm-hmm. here it's like he actually left New York after I didn't feel great about him leaving New York in Chirac. Like he had a, regardless, he's not filming in like Brooklyn or Manhattan at least. And uh, and here he does it, and he it actually does like. It looks really good, and I, I, I just wanted to like make that point that I, I agreed with you, and it's like something that I pay attention to a lot with his movies because I just – like I'll give a movie like an extra star in letterbox if I think it made a big city look interesting, and mm-hmm. that's just like a thing I do. I like looking at the cities, and I think he like – it's, it's really cool to see him like – I, I think there are some lesser-known movies of his where he's going outside the, the five boroughs maybe, but like, just not, I haven't seen a ton of them. So it's just cool to see him actually like handle that pretty well. Yeah. Uh, I want to take a moment also to uh, congratulate John David for surpassing his father this year. Uh, I saw this year I've seen – what was that movie that he did? Um, his dad. Equalizer 2? Equalizer 2. <laughs> that is not a good movie. No, it's um, not. And his and uh, Denzel is not good in it. Was it you that I saw make the proclamation that it was the best performance by Washington in fifteen years? That would be our friend Josh Brown. Oh, okay. he, he made that proclamation, and uh, I'm trying to think if you disagree. If there's anything? I, I think I might agree. I actually really, um, I actually really, really enjoyed Denzel and Fences, but I did too. And but I, and I, I actually, think that I actually John did, David here, and I actually is. rewatched Inside Man too, like you did. Um, or I guess I don't know if you'd seen it before you watched it the other day. I did um, not. I had seen it once before. Like Denzel's good in that, but like I, I was really impressed with him because I. Do you watch Ballers? I don't blame me if the answer is no. I don't. Well, me and Elizabeth Warren had something in common that you don't. Have yeah, there you us. go. But uh, I, I do watch Ballers. I'm very mixed on the show, but like he's really good on it. But he's playing a fairly stereotypical hotshot NFL wide receiver. It's and he he played college football. And mm-hmm. so I was like, this maybe isn't that much of a stretch from him. So it's like, and I'm sure like um, Spike knows him because he obviously goes way back with Denzel and like John David was, I guess, played what young Malcolm X and Malcolm X. So I guess he, he played, uh, I think, one of the school children uh, at the end. Of oh, Malcolm so X. even a smaller part. OK, but like yeah. he maybe knew he had it in him. But if you had told me like, hey, this guy's going to convincingly lead a Spike Lee movie. If you told me that after I'd only watched three seasons of Ballers, I would have been like, I'm a little worried about that Spike Lee movie. But like, I mean, he has to do a lot. Um, and not, not just like the white voice stuff, like he has to do a lot and he's real and he, he carries it for sure. Oh yeah. I, what I really love about this performance is, um, the voice that he does, it's this very affected, uh, you know, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, white voice, mm-hmm. or at least it's not, it's not like a, let me just think, how do I say this? It's not like David Cross. <laughs> He's like, you know, he's talking, enunciating his words in a very particular manner. He's yeah. talking in a way that makes you wonder. At one point after he, you know, starts this ruse on the KKK, his chief says um, he can't, you know, support his mission because once they hear him talking on the phone, they're going to know that he is not white. 
And it's a scene that is comic to me because you know listening to john david's no, I, I thought the, i thought the problem was that like they're not gonna buy that it's you if they hear you on the phone and then they like you're, how are they gonna think it's the same person when they hear someone else in person it was more that they didn't I, I, was it actually no, no, they no, he does make it, the chief does say the chief does say they're gonna know that you're not white he okay. does say it at one point and it's laughable because he's not talking in a distinctly black manner he's just talking um it's a performance that reminds me a lot of someone who gets a shout out in this movie uh ron o'neill from uh superfly 1972 uh there it's a superfly 1972 for those who don't know it's a movie about a drug pusher slash pimp uh ron o'neill is the drug dealer slash pimp but ron o'neill comes from a theatrical broadway background i believe uh and the performance that he gives to this you know gritty drug dealer it it, it's far more dignified than it ought to be uh he's clearly enunciating his words in a very thespian manner and it you know doesn't necessarily work for the character but it does create the impression of a man who is in a world that he doesn't entirely belong in, a world that he probably might not have chosen if it weren't for the world that he was born into. John David's performance here does a lot of the same thing for me. He wants to be a cop, but it's an institution that's never going to fully accept him. Uh, he want, he, you know, he infiltrates the Ku Klux Klan, but it's a world that he also has no part in. It's... A great performance. Uh, he he adds a lot of uh, eccentricity and specificity to this character. Um, I there's one great scene where you know after a confrontation with a fellow police officer who is undeniably racist, he starts doing karate chops into the air in frustration. And it's little touches like that that really make Ron Stallworth feel like it's one of the small same. things I noticed along those lines was this his body language in the evidence locker scene. I mm-hmm. how, how deliberate he was and how it was like, in theory, he should be like, uh, I don't, I, I, well, not, I don't want to say like, I, I don't want to say he should be like, be like practicing respectability politics or anything like that. But it's like, this guy's mm-hmm. like really new on the job. Like you would think that he wouldn't want to piss anyone off. And he's just like going like at the slowest pace and looked so <laughs> deliberately looking at this folder and then shuffling his feet back there. And it, even something like that where you're not even hearing him talk, but you're getting a sense of that guy's personality because of like how he's just conveying how he feels about that whole situation. Just by the way, he lifts the lid of a cardboard container. It's great. Um, I also want to call out right now, so we're talking performance, Topher Grace. What yeah. a great bit of casting. Yeah. What a great bit of casting. Topher Grace is an actor who I I don't even I, – I, before this movie, I'm not even sure that I completely even liked, but who I always like to see. He's always in what I call the Topher Grace role. It's just – he's always this kind of very unassuming but charming presence. Uh, and that makes him a perfect choice for, you know, David Duke, a man who, you know, sought to uh, reform racism in a way that would make it pal- pal- uh, palatable to the mainstream. I don't even know if I'd say I, – I think some of the things I haven't enjoyed him in was because he wasn't unassuming enough. He was in American Ultra, and I remember thinking he was like laughably pretty bad in that. And then, See, I liked that movie oh, though. No, I, 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 was pretty, I was pretty ambivalent on the movie itself, but I was just like – on him, I was just like, man, this is too, you're too, you're too much right now. And <laughs> it, tr- Truth, which is like this the movie about uh, Dan Rather getting ousted at CBS News because they're reporting on George Bush and Iraq and stuff like that. Like he was just one of the other reporters in there, and it, I mean, it probably didn't help that I just I did it like at the same time I did a podcast on Spotlight and I compared the two, and like, mm-hmm. Spotlight's the way better movie with a bunch of good performing performances. And then I watched Two for Grace, and it's like, eh. Mm-hmm. But it was, I mean, I feel like this like playing the kind of guy that David Duke is someone that is not likable, but is going to put on like a swarmy like front is probably pretty perfect for him. And I mean, I don't know who's that was Spike Lee's choice or one of the other producers, but like, I mean, good on him for th- for thinking of him for that role. Cause I think it fits like a glove. Yeah, it is great. I mean that in the nicest um, way possible to him. <laughs> oh, real quick. So a uh, question did, 
during the scene where he first makes contact, uh, John David, uh, when he first makes contact with the Ku Klux Klan over the phone, were people laughing in your audience? Yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's what I was saying really? earlier. Like they were, I mean, just because that's the first time you hear the white voice too. So it's just, it's just going to be naturally funny hearing a guy like that, like do a voice. And then when it's <laughs> like, I don't want to say it's as simple as people laughing at like hearing someone say the N word in that manner. I think it was, mm-hmm. I think I was more laughing at like just the reaction the other cops gave him. And the moment. Oh, no, they, I understand it. My I asked that question because I remember being in the movie theater and I was absolutely dying. But before I started laughing, everybody was quiet. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, I mean, Did they, it's, so they it's knew. a great speech. It's a great monologue. They, 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 were, starts, they, were, they were waiting on the one black guy in the audience to tell them it was okay. They were waiting on the one black guy to tell them it was okay. And it was okay. It's such a funny scene. It is such a funny scene. Um, yeah, no, and I, I think I was in a more um, diverse audience than you were, and everyone. I think we were just kind of all on the same page. So I didn't have the same odd dynamics that you did. But I mean, okay. yeah, we we were we were laughing uh, from the get go, and it was just. Uh, yeah, I mean it, the combination of just like him surprise, just him surprising all the officers with the voice, but then like Dave. David Duke just being so excited to talk to him like it was just kind of it was it was funny so what did you think of the final images yeah so I'd say that I I don't know if I was necessarily blown away by most people could probably if I hadn't um watched that news coverage uh as it was happening live i and i wasn't as familiar with it as i was maybe it would have had a more powerful impact on me at that point though i feel like i'd already kind of gotten it and not that i'm saying that this was like him being too uh heavy-handed or any necessarily in this regard what what what, if if i'm talking in regards to anything that i thought would have been too heavy-handed it was maybe the one moment in the scene in the movie where someone's like i now i'm forgetting which character it was but they're like saying we wouldn't have a president that holds these views like someone says something (laughs) Yeah, that yeah. And that, that, See, at that scene, at that scene, I honestly, I expected him to say, God, America would never elect someone like that. I expected them to both stop and look into the camera. Yeah, I expected that it. Was and honestly, one... I would have been okay with it. Okay. Well, that I mean, it, w- it would have almost been better if they looked into the camera than not yeah, doing I mean, it, I would say. Like, at that point, it's like, it's like Spike, it was like Spike trying to hold my hand. And I get it. Like, I've done a lot of reading about Spike uh, in these last few days. There's been a lot of profiles about him. And he, he, he really laments, like, you know... Th- th- the whole thing of them starting with the image from Gone with the Wind, it comes from Spike being like, I had to watch Gone with the Wind on a field trip once, and no one actually told us what it meant. And he, this whole, he's seeing like this whole process of directing this movie is like wanting to explain to a lot of the people what some of our problems are. And because he, he said the same thing with Birth, Birth of a Nation, and there's a scene in here that involves watching Birth of a Nation, and he's like really upset that Birth of a Nation kind of like was what inspired a resurgence from the clan. And except no one taught him recognizing the power of film, but also what I, side note, I yeah. do love that scene because that is also interspliced with, um, you know, the, the speech Harry given by Harry Belafonte. It's a scene that holds a mirror to the actual audience. Um, I could understand this is one of those scenes that made one of the white people I was with uncomfortable oh. or at least made him, you know, hate the movie. And I think a part of that is because. That's a scene that says these are these people are you. You are these people. You lend cinema power and you are affected by the imagery that it, you know, purports and you are part of the problem. Uh, I can understand people not really being very responsive to that, but, you know, yeah, but- so be it. I, I don't disagree with what you just said, but I still like I'm saying that moment. Uh, I, I didn't necessarily think that was over the top, and I thought that like I, I get that's that's what Spike's trying to tell us. And mm-hmm. I think reading these profiles about him and the movie obviously functions independently of any extra reading I do, but I think it almost like makes some of those other moments in the movie like feel a little more. Uh, oh, I get it. Like he has a larger goal here, and as long as it's not like them trying to really, 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 really directly draw a parallel to Donald Trump and make sure I really, really get it, which is what I felt with that scene about a president, I'm fine with it because I get what Spike's trying to do. And if he can, right. if he can sprinkle in a bunch of teaching moments that don't feel out of place throughout a really entertaining movie, more power to him. With to go back to your original question though about 
did I, did I feel that with that last scene? That last scene, I mean, I'm not going to say I wasn't moved, but I don't. I just don't know if I was blown away as it sounds like a lot of other people are because it's like, yeah, I, this stuff sucks that this happened, and I really it says a lot about where we are today. But I think at that point, I had already kind of, I already, I already kind of got that. You know, I think mm-hmm. part of the irony of this whole movie is that it's like, what did they actually accomplish in the end besides like making sure that bomb didn't go off? You know, which is not nothing, but in in the grand scheme of things, that clan chapter, like, uh, I'm sure it didn't go away forever. You know, right. like it's it's cool that like Stallworth like wanted to make this difference and took it upon himself to do this, and they really put their put put themselves in danger. Him and uh, Zimmerman, more so Zimmerman, I guess. They they really took it upon themselves to do this, and I respect that, and it's good, and it's a good story, but. Th- the fact is like it's such a smaller it's such a small piece of such a larger institutional problem which the movie addresses too with all their talks about the just the systemic issues in the police department but at that point i kind of got it it's like man like they're making these efforts back here and even if they had been 100 percent successful in whatever the ideal version of that mission would have been we'd still be where we are today and i kind of already drawn that line in my head already so i didn't necessarily like need the last news footage sequence to really do anything hammer else for, to ha- hammer I, I wasn't mad at spike for being heavy-handed because hey some people really maybe really needed to see that and if it someone gets something out of that i'm really happy for it but it didn't necessarily like leave me like oh my god wow i wasn't like that yeah no i agree with you um i was not quite as devastated by the imagery as other people were but i also think a part of that is that i mean you and i are kind of up on the news so like this isn't news i don't i don't i don't watch the news i just go to the movies (laughs) (laughs) so it wasn't like news to me i did like the craft of it the last couple moments before the news footage you had the spike that spike lee slide i love it every time it shows up and it's like here he employs it probably the best out of any other movie okay that I've you, seen. you might have actually caught this better than me because i was um i was texting with my friend adam schick who's done a couple of these podcasts with me already and he mm-hmm. said that there was a throwback or a musical cue something to inside man uh did you catch that what he, what he was referring to what, what i'm sorry he referred to what he said that that was kind of like a uh, there was kind of like a um a, a callback to inside man within that he's saying uh, you see, my, I'm going to read his text to me. He said, I'm trying to figure out why he used the callback to Inside Man with the music cue and shot in the final scene before the real footage. Did you – I didn't notice that. Do you know what he's um, referring to? I don't, rec- uh, I don't recognize We both watched that. Inside Man um, last I, he, he might be – I'm not going to lie. Is your friend like well-versed in Spike Lee? Uh, I, I would think so. OK. Because like that shot, the Spike Lee slide, it's in all of his movies. OK. Uh, so but you, 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 you know, didn't notice anything with the music in that moment? I didn't see anything specific – about the music to inside man but you know maybe i've just missed that but no the uh spike lee slide employed here it's like haunting yeah Uh, you know the and uh when the news footage kicks off it's still you know carrying over that very haunting music cue and it's it's i think it's powerful stuff it's just not as hard-hitting to me because it's all stuff that i have seen but you know i saw people in the audience visibly affected one even left before the entire footage ran its course um and i do i have no idea how to feel about that too yeah i have no idea how i feel about that but if if that's gonna get you to leave a movie i don't know why you're going to a spike lee movie in the first place yeah exactly but perhaps you know i don't know maybe he knew the person i have no idea but yeah, I mean, I think that considering that this is his plea or, you know, call to arms to mainstream America, I think that this drawing this line so directly might have been necessary because there are people who are not quite as engaged in these issues as you or I. Yeah, and I, one of the things I noticed while I was on this Spike Lee mini binge the last couple of weeks is that like there is some version of the term of the of the line "Wake up" in a lot of his movies, and if he feels the need to yell that even more loudly with this movie at this particular moment in time for a movie that was released on the anniversary of those Charlottesville riots, 
I'm not going to really fault him. You know, if there's ever a time to, if there's ever a time where we need to be like kind of punch in the face about this stuff and more have it more directly addressed to us, it's like this is this is probably that time. You know, like I don't need you to, I don't need him to hide the ball or make me really make everyone really work to figure it out. If people, if if this is going to have mass appeal, then I guess that's probably a good thing. And it seems like it's going to probably do more, do more, more, make more noise at the box office than any of his movies since Inside Man. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping that people go see this movie. People go see this movie. Is there anything, is there anything else you wanted to say? Cause otherwise I think that's a pretty good, a fairly good note to end on. Are there anything I didn't ask you about or any final uh, points you do want to make about it? Well, I do have a question. Yeah. What are your favorite Spike Lee movies? I'm glad you. I was going to actually ask you that. I'm glad you thought to ask that before we left. Mm-hmm. I'd, uh, I, I think um, Do the Right Thing is still one for me. I feel okay. like I, I don't know if it's just the point in time in which I first saw it, but like I feel like that movie really did a lot for me in terms of how I thought about race and um, I just it's still like super watchable and like just a great blend of comedy and the perfect uh, building of tension. Uh, I'd probably go Do the Right Thing then. Malcolm X, then Black Klansman, he got game, then she's got to have it. That's a good point. I, I, I watched Inside Man. I rewatch, like I said, I rewatched Inside Man for the first time a couple of days ago. A few things in it didn't really like hold up great for me. Um, and I, it was funny. I actually read Roger Ebert's review and he like made the same points. And I was like, man, I, th- I hope I'm not, because it was like stupid stuff in there that like I was like, how is Christopher Plummer supposing this movie is taking place in 2006? Like, how is he old enough to like have like played an important role in world war ii like making a lot of money in big business like i think of weird things like that when i because i know a lot of actor ages and like ebert got caught up on that but also like what the hell did jodie foster actually do like stuff like that i don't know if it like holds together and that's not even spike's fault i think the fact that it's as entertaining as it is in spite of that because he didn't write that one um but like no so like it's actually like still really entertaining um in spite of that but like those are probably my top five in that order do the right thing malcolm x black klansman he got game she's got to have it What, what about you well, in ascending order, at number five, I've got Chirac. Okay. I actually really was impressed by Chirac. Yeah. It's messy. Oh, it's messy. But it is messy in the best way possible. It is him talking about gun violence through verse. <laughs> it's an adaptation oh, it's of like, Greek It's amazingly play. written. Like It's really impressive how he pulls that off. I wanted more, just because I watched it for the first time a couple of days ago also, I wanted more to talk amongst the dudes. Uh, and I get that, like, it's cool if he wants to, because, and I, that was an interesting theme. I didn't realize, like, between that and she's got to have it, it and um, it, it, this, the female characters actually come off better than the male characters in a lot of his stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was like, I want them to, like, kind of talk about, like, a little bit more amongst themselves about, like, why this violence is so pointless when they're putting it in this perspective for us. Um, I wasn't sure what to make of the John Cusack sequ- sequence either. Like, what did you think about that? Like, Which sequence? The John Cusack sermon. Oh, uh, I wasn't quite sure. Like, I mean, it's, again, Mike, uh, Spike Lee getting on his soapbox. And, you know, I think that John Cusack is a good performance. It is a little weird to have that scene in the middle of a movie about black people. But, you know, I, I, I think that it spoke to um, a larger cross-section of, you know, this city than, you know, if you just had a bunch of gangsters. Mm-hmm. Although... Oh man, what was I about to say? I can't remember. Oh, no. Go to number four. Sorry, I, I didn't. We don't need to. Have, oh, do but a but, uh, but he does have he does have uh, a great character there. Uh, <laughs> Dolas I believe the name was. It's a reference to Dolomite. That warrants number five for me. Number four for me is Inside Man. Okay. I do really like Inside Man. Um, I was cold on Dog Day Afternoon, which apparently is where he took, you know, most of the influence of that movie from. Yeah, they reference it in it. Oh, they do? Okay. Yeah. But like, yeah, no, Inside Man, I think is it's great. I think that it's a love letter to New York, but as a bank robbery movie. And I think that it's very effective in that. Number three for me, Black Klansman. I, I mean, I really love this movie, man. It's my second favorite movie of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, number two, Bamboozled. And number one, what else? Malcolm X. That's right. Yeah, and uh, I mean, Malcolm X is really just the thing that struck me most about it when I watched it for the first time about a year ago. I think was just that, like, man, that is a long ass movie, and it doesn't feel as long as it actually is. Exactly. Like I even said earlier, I don't particularly like these cradle to the grave type movies, and it's not like they're 
following Malcolm X when he's five years old, but like it basically is that kind of thing, that comprehensive. Mm-hmm. And it, like for a movie to be that kind of biopic that I've strongly decided long before seeing that that I don't like, but to still like have me that engaged throughout is like really damn impressive. Yeah, it's a, it's a story that requires an epic length. And I'm a guy who, you know, forget Cradle to Grave. I don't really like it when a movie goes beyond two hours. <laughs> a movie goes beyond two hours. I fool my arms. I'm like, mm, you got to justify this. Uh, this movie is three and a half, I think. It's like three hours and, and ten, it, I think. Three hours and ten. And it is still just – it pulls me, man. It pulls me. And, and Black Landsman was 2.15 too. I mean I, was, I noticed that watching a lot of these Spike movies. He doesn't really come in under two hours that often. Um, no. But she's got to have it. it was actually like an hour 28 and like – that was very, that's actually very unusual for him. Um, mm. and I, and, and on bamboozled, uh, you, you talked about it earlier, so I'm not going to ask you much about it, but if anyone out there has a, any kind of uh, method illegal or not for me to watch it, I'm here for it because I tried to watch it by, <laughs> I tried to watch it by legal means and it was impossible to do. So I'm uh, exploring other options. So feel free to reach out if you have such a option for me. Yeah, man, I think we, uh, pretty well covered it. I, I'm glad we did that top five things. I was curious to see where you were at on that. I, yeah, I I'm, I'm cold on Do the Right Thing. I need to rewatch that one, actually. Yeah, I, 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 that's one I can always revisit at any time. And uh, yeah, and a lot, just FYI for anyone that's still listening, like a lot of his stuff is randomly available on uh, Cinemax's streaming service uh, and, and, and Netflix. So she's got to have it, Inside Man, and I think a couple others are on Netflix. So a lot of them are pretty readily available. Um but uh, yeah, man, I uh, I really appreciate you breaking this all down with me. I think um, this is like I said, it's a beast of a movie, and I feel like I could have probably talked about it for another hour. But like, um, like I, I probably only scratched the surface on some of my feelings on it, as far as just like it's the stuff about the Judaism. Like I talked about it at the very beginning, but I think like I, I highly recommend it for anyone that is Jewish. It's gonna like really make you think just about like your place as a minority because like i said we can easily just like we could easily recede in the background on these issues mm-hmm. and i think a lot of people do and it really upsets me that i think like a lot of jewish people just like they they don't disengaged really, yeah i i don't even want to say disengage with their faith but it's more just like don't realize like hey like we've been through a lot as a people and like you should probably not forget about that but also think about it in terms of just like how what other responsibility you have to really make sure other minorities are not disenfranchised and I this this really makes you think about that because of the journey it takes Adam Driver's character on, and I'm like excited because like you said they probably could have done more with this character, and I feel like I want to like give the movie I'm gonna go see it again this weekend and just like really pay attention to him and like try and even connect on with the movie on a deeper level because of that, and I like strongly recommend it for any like I, like you like you already said people please go see this movie, but like I especially recommend it for um, other Jewish people because I think it can really like make you think and you don't have to like have that kind of connection as a black person or a jewish person to see it i think you might get something extra out of it but like i think a lot of what we were trying to get through on the podcast though is just that like spike does this stuff in like such an entertaining way that like you're gonna you're gonna get something out of it regardless of like what demographic you fall into i think yep all right do you have any, uh, before we head out daniel like giving people a chance to plug something do you want to like plug a twitter account or your letterbox or anything in particular or are you a closed book um I've got a letterbox. Uh, I wouldn't mind followers to that, I guess. I don't know how you plug that, though. I you think know. my name on it is Daniel. So oh, do you even have, do you have a la- hold on? Do you have a last name on it or something like that? Like, is it just Daniel oh the Lima? URL on my URL? It'll be letterbox.com slash felonious funk. There you go. And as usual, I'm at Josh Chernovoy on Twitter, J O S H J U R N O V O I, and on uh i guess I, I i never even actually gave out the letterbox url i think it's yeah it's just gonna be letterbox.com slash j-o-s-h-j-u-r-n-o-v-o-i so thanks for listening uh stay tuned next week's episode gonna be on crazy rich Asians. so i'm looking forward to talking about that i've already seen that movie once and i'm gonna go see it again because it was a lot of fun so go check it out and tune in next week thanks for listening <laughs>